1988 when Lisa and I purchased our home. And when we purchased our home, we were first-time home buyers. And one of the things that we were grateful to the Lord for was at that time in His providence, HUD was offering a special financial rate through the FHA for first-time home buyers if they lived in certain areas of the Metroplex. One of those areas happened to be Kennedale, and so we qualified in that way. And so, uh, the, and the interest rate was an unbelievable low interest rate, introductory interest rate at that time, at 7.5%. And we were so happy to get an interest rate of 7.5% on the loan. Uh, it was such a, 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 the program was limited, and uh, certain banks were offering, uh, HUD was using certain banks to offer it through. And uh, so the first there were people there got it and approved, got it, and the program was over. And uh, so I, that Sunday night after church, I got in my car, I drove to the bank, I parked my car, and I slept in the, my car that night. And uh, as soon as those bank doors opened up, I was in line and getting ready to apply for that. Now, if you're a, t- a home buyer today, you no longer need a special rate from HUD. Uh, you can get rates as low as 2%. Uh, in, as far as buying a home. And like I said, back then, 7.5% seemed like, I mean, oh man, it was great. We were, we were tickled paint to get 7.5% interest rate. And, and while today's home buyers don't, don't need that kind of special rate today, all of us do need, however, to apply the characteristics of the acronym of HUD as it's stated in our text. And instead of uh, the housing, uh, housing and Urban Development, I want to talk to you about today about hearing, understanding, and doing. Hearing, understanding, and doing. As we've been making our way through this text as followers of Christ, we learned last week, the last two weeks, as we've looked at the overview of Matthew 13, that we are called to two things. As a child of God, I am called to be a faithful, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a fruitful citizen within the kingdom. God expects me to bear fruit. I'm to be a fruitful citizen within the kingdom. Also, I am to be a faithful caretaker of the kingdom of God. So I'm I'm to live as a fruitful citizen, and I'm also to be a faithful caretaker of the kingdom of God. And the means by which this occurs is found in our text in verse 23. Look at verse 23 again. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, and understands it, he indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. You know, we, we see the word hearing, we see the word understanding, and doing is implied. There's some kind of action through that understanding. Doing is implied through the bearing of fruit and the various yields. Uh, sometimes there's a yield of a hundredfold. Sometimes there's a yield of 60-fold. Sometimes there's a yield of 30-fold. Now, this morning's text is the first of eight kingdom parables. It's the first of eight kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. And not only are we looking, not only do we have the parable, but in this case, we also have its interpretation. Jesus interprets the parable for us uh, in, in verses 18 through 23. And this parable is kind of uh, the, the, the first parables we talked to you last week. The first parable and the last parable uh, are, are, are kind of the brackets 
that deal with all the parables in between. This parable, its focus is upon fruitfulness. The last parable is, uh, deals with the focus on being uh, faithful caretakers of the kingdom. And all the other parables fit into that. But th- this, this first parable, which deals with fruitfulness, it helps explain to the twelve why those who desired uh, the kingdom of God were so opposed to Jesus as their king. Now remember, I mean, now think about it. They're living in a time when the religious leaders are looking for Messiah. They're looking for Him. They want Messiah to come. They're, they're looking for, they, they believe in the, in the prophecies that God gives as it relates to Messiah. And then, lo and behold, here comes Jesus, and He's doing all the works of Messiah. He's, he's healing the blind. He's healing the sick. The lame are walking. The, the deaf are hearing. Those that are unable to speak, speak. Uh, he is, he's, he's, he's meeting and providing their needs. He teaches in a way. He teaches with authority. And it's obvious to the twelve. They don't understand everything. And their understanding of the kingdom is, is still a little skewed. They're expecting Jesus to, to, to uh, uh, release them from the bondage of Rome. So they and they still don't quite have got the they don't have the concept of a of a suffering Messiah, a Messiah that comes to die, but yet they still believe that Jesus is the promised one. He's the anointed one. And they see it. It's right before their eyes, and yet the majority of the people, the 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 the, the majority of the religious leaders refuse to see it. It's got to be frustrating for these guys. And not only is it frustrating for them, but as they now begin to hear Jesus talk about, we're going to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. These guys have got to be thinking, have I invested my life in something for nothing? Have I been duped? Is it possible that this is just another false Messiah? I mean... You've got to. They're wondering here, and Jesus is talking about leaving them, and 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 going away, and going back to the Father, and and they've got to be thinking, why don't they see this? It's probably some of the things that you've thought when you've talked to maybe a loved one or a friend, and you've shared the gospel with them, and you know they're looking for something, you know that their lives, uh, that their lives are in need of the gospel. And, 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 and you see it, and you understand it, and it's right there before you, and you think, why in the world can they not see this? Why in the world can't they understand this? Here is the answer. Here is the answer for their lives, and yet it's like talking to, that, to this wall. Nothing is happening. And this parable helps to explain why people respond that way. But Jesus also uses it to encourage the twelve to persevere in spite of the unbelief, in spite of the desertion by some, and in spite of the rejection by the religious leaders and the majority of the people of Jesus in God's kingdom program. You share, you share, you share, and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens, and this idea of continuing to persevere. Well, we're going to unpack our text today by examining three things. We're going to look at the setting, and we're going to look at the structure fairly quickly. 
And the majority of our time is going to be spent on the sower and the soils. So, so let's kind of begin by a brief look at the setting. If you, we didn't read it, but, but if you look at chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Or it's also translated, on that day. Uh, the, ESV, the ESV even makes it a little bit more clear in the fact that, that we're talking... The, the same, what, what, what happened in chapter 12, it happens on the same day of chapter 13. So as we go back and think what's taking place in chapter 12, we know from chapter 12 it's a Sabbath day. So the, the parables that Jesus is, are teaching here, it, it, it's occurring on a Sabbath day. It's a Saturday. Uh, we also know it's a day of confrontation and controversy with the religious leaders. When you read chapter 12 and, and, and chapter 11 previous to that, it, it, it's, it's a day... I mean, Jesus has been dealing with people, combative people all day. Combative people all day. Uh, they, the religious leaders have argued with him regarding Sabbath observance. They, they have argued with him and accused that the source and authority of Jesus' power is sourced in Satan and not in God. Uh, it's, been, it's been a battle about inward character and willful rejection and, and opportunity and accountability and, and moralism and, and, and genuine familial relationship. What truly makes somebody part of the family of God? And Jesus has been having that back and forth all throughout that day. And now we find him in chapter 13. He, he, he's sitting on a boat. It's on the shore of the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum. Uh, and you find that from verses reading 1 and 2. Uh, great crowds gathered. In chapter 12, uh, verse 9, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. Uh, and, and the idea is it's the synagogue that he was part of. He's there in, in uh, uh, Capernaum. And, and, and so Jesus goes to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds begin to gather. He gets on a boat. He pushes out a little bit. And, and, and he does so. It enables the people to see him. Uh, it enables the people to hear him better. Uh, sound carries very well over water. Uh, so he's able to hear them better. But also it pr- probably provides him some, some added security. Uh, in chapter 12, we read the fact where the Pharisees said, we're going to find some way to kill him. We're getting rid of him. We're getting rid of them. They're, they're looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. So all these things are taking place here. That's the setting as he's getting ready to teach these eight kingdom parables. And, and, and there's also, I want to make a couple comments before we look at the actual the soil and the soils. Look at the structure, just kind of the general overall structure. Uh, add some things that we haven't talked about. As, as, we look at the, uh, as we look at the parable of the soils or the sower, there are four souls, uh, four soils. Okay, let me slow down. There are four soils, uh, and they're divided into two categories. And, and you have the productive or good soil, and that's one category. And then you have the unproductive soil. And the unproductive soil has three aspects to it. The unproductive soil is where the seed is sown on the path, among the rocks, and among the thorns. Uh, So you have three unproductive soils. The seed is sown, some of it falls on the path, some of it falls, uh, it it, it germinates, it's among the the rocks, and other is among the thorns. And these different soils are representative of the four types of responses to the seed that is being sown. So the seed is sown... And you have four types of responses to the seed that is sown. 
uh, in verse 19, we find that the seed is identified as the word of the kingdom. Look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So here again, he's giving, he says at verse, 19, at verse 18, hear the parable of the sower. So the seed here is the word of the kingdom. It's the teaching of the word of God. Uh, and he, he's, he's classifying the teaching of the word of God under the broad umbrella of the word of the kingdom. And there's four responses to that. You have, first of all, just flat out rejection. And that's the seed, as we're going to see, that's the seed along the path. Just flat out rejection. That's one response. They hear the word of the kingdom, it's rejected. It's just outright rejected. Then you have the seed among the rocks, which is oscillation. Uh, you know, you remember those fans that, you know, and then go back, you know, or, or sprinklers, you know, and they, they do all that. Well, you had this, uh, they, they, they start off with great joy, great enthusiasm, and then, and they wither up, scorched and withered away. So you had this great start, this great flash in the pan, and then dud. Then you have competition among the thorns. Uh, of, of, of this battle between this, this root system of the thorns and the root system of the seed. And, and you have this competition that's taking place. And then finally you have reception, where you have the good soil. And so you have these different kinds of responses to the word of the kingdom. And the important thing is this. The key issue here is not one's salvific status. The key issue here is not about which, people, which, group, which of these soils represent saved people and which of these soils represent lost people. That's not... If, you look at, if, that, if that's the, the lens through which you look through this parable, you need to go to the, is it the ophthalmologist that does the glasses? Uh, you know, you need to go or to the optometrist. One of the two, the ones that make, you know, uh, you know A or B, you know, you know, C or D. You know, you, you, those of you that wear glasses, you know all that stuff, you know, which is clear. Uh, to me, I get all confused. But, but anyhow, uh, you, that's the wrong lens to look through. The lens that you're looking through is not to determine who's saved and who's not saved. The lens to look through is not a matter of salvific status, but rather one's responsiveness or non-responsiveness to the message of the kingdom. Lost people reject the word of the kingdom. But as a believer, I can reject God's word as well. Again, the thrust here is not, Jesus is not trying to say, these are those who are saved, these are those who are not saved. Well, you certainly can imply that. The thrust is this. He's talking to how people respond to the Word of God. How do people respond to the Word of the Kingdom? How do people respond to the Word of the Kingdom? That is key. We're talking about response here. Response. Now, let's go ahead and and focus the remainder of our time on the story and on its interpretation. It starts off uh, in verse 3 where he says, A sower went out to sow. Now, whether you read the parable or you read the interpretation, the sower is not identified. 
We don't know. Jesus doesn't identify the sower in the parable, nor does he identify the sower in the interpretation. He identifies for us the seed. He identifies for us the soils, but he doesn't identify for us the sower. However, these Jews that are listening to him know exactly who he's referring to. Because in Jeremiah 31, in Ezekiel 36, and in Hosea 2, there are metaphors that are used that describe God as sowing. And the sowing and harvest are used to describe the eschatological expectation of the kingdom. So in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, and Hosea 2, you have these metaphors of God sowing, and the expectation from that sowing is the kingdom. The kingdom, life in the kingdom, and what life is going to be like in the kingdom. And so as Jesus is telling this parable, even though these religious leaders... They're not going to understand this because Jesus is talking to them about the secrets of the kingdom that they've rejected. And again, remember, the secrets of the kingdom are this. is the fact that between the inauguration of the kingdom, which happens when Jesus comes to minister, until the consummation of the kingdom, when Jesus comes back to reign, there is a time in between where the kingdom is going to be manifest on this earth through those who are children of God. Now again... I'm not. I, I, I'm, a, I'm dispensational. I believe that Jesus is coming, and He's going to literally sit on 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 the throne in Jerusalem. He's going to reign from Jerusalem. Uh, he's going to reign over the world. There's a thousand year millennium, but what the, the the kingdom hasn't been postponed. The kingdom is still active, but it's and we're going to see from these parables. It's active, in I'm going to say secretly, but it's it's active in a place where you have weeds and you have wheat and fruit wheat growing together. And part of what we are to be as the church is we are to be an example to the kingdoms of this age because we belong to another kingdom to show them what life... This is just a foreshadow of what life is going to be like in the kingdom where people love one another, where people forgive one another, where people encourage one another, where what, our, what binds us is not a political party, what binds us is not our race, what binds us is, is not, uh, 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 you know, if we agree on this or we agree on that, that what binds us together is our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that we can disagree on these other issues and still love one another, and serve one another, and encourage one another, and forgive each other, and seek forgiveness for one another. And so the kingdom's presence is on this earth, but it's here through His people. Through His people. We're not going to usher in the kingdom. The world is not going to get better. We're not going to usher in the consummation of it. But Jesus is going to come, and when He comes, the consummation will be here. The Pharisees aren't going to get it. The religious leaders aren't going to get it. These truths are going to be hidden from them. And so, Jesus is sharing these truths with them, but even even though these secrets are going to be hidden from the religious leaders and the people, they still understand the metaphor. They recognize that what Jesus is talking about here is something about the kingdom because God is the sower. God is the sower. 
He's not identified, but Jesus doesn't have to identify him because from their knowledge of Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, and Hosea 2, they understand that Jesus is talking about the kingdom and they understand that God is the one who's doing the sowing. So, the sower is not identified. But he does talk to us about the soils. And so we're going it, it, to... It, it's pretty self-explanatory in the text. And so we're going to kind of walk through this. It won't take us long to walk through it. And then we want to give you a couple, uh, a couple things as we close to think about. The first soil is the soil along the path. Look at verse 4. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured him. Now, I've told you about this before, but if, if we need a reminder, fields, like, like if we took our property here, and, and we, we, this was a place, it was like a, commun- a community garden to where we got to, to grow crops and, and, and do that, and we would divide out maybe patches for this group, patches for this group, patches for this group, but we wouldn't put up any fences. So no fences would be put up, but because of, of walking and stuff, we're not, we're not, we would, we would, we'd have well-worn paths. And so within these fields and, and, and where, where, where crops were grown, you would have well-worn paths that would uh, be, be uh, dividing the different parcels, but also you'd have well-worn paths through the parcel. Here a couple of weeks ago, I showed you a, an opening illustration of the elementary school I went to and showed you the path. And you can't see the path anymore through Google Earth. But when I was a kid, I can remember when you walked, there was a well-worn path. I mean, where it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was bare ground. There was no grass there, but the, 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 the dirt was, was, was packed. It was hard. You had this well-worn path. And so that's the kind of path that you would have. Through, there, was no, there was no fences to divide it. And so within that, as they're, as they're sowing their seed, as, as he's throwing his seed, some of that seed is going to fall on the path. And the seed that, is, that falls on the path, verse 4 tells us that that seed is devoured, and, and that's a very strong word, that seed is devoured by the birds. Maybe you've seen birds like that when there's something there on the ground and they, you know, they start fighting over the, you know, whatever's on. You know, they have their little bird fights and doing that. These, these birds are devouring it. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, he explains it. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away. That's a very violent word. It's a, it, the word devoured and the word snatches away, it, it's, 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 they are very emotional, strong words. Snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So what Jesus is explaining here, that, that one, of the, one of the ways to respond to the word of the kingdom is basically not understanding due to willful rejection. Willful rejection. You say, well, how do you get that out of the text? Well, it's simply this, that the hardened path of his heart does not act on what has been heard. The message has been lost and snatched away. The hardened path of his heart does not act on what has been heard. The message has been lost and snatched away. They hear the message of the kingdom, but you know they they don't really respond. They, they don't respond. They, they just kind of, okay, yeah, okay, okay. But it doesn't really in the place to where because their hearts are hardened, they. They don't, they don't respond to it. They don't act upon it. 
They don't understand it. You know, they, they, it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, with, with John the Baptist. You know, Herod enjoyed listening to him. You read the text and he, he enjoyed listening to him. But he didn't apply what he heard. He didn't understand that it was a call for him to come to repentance. And he eventually beheaded him. So you have the fact that here that the message is lost. It gets snatched away. They, they don't respond to it. They don't allow it to, to penetrate into their hearts. And because of that fact, it's, it's gone. It's gone. I think about times in my own life where someone's shared with me an aspect of the Word of God in my life and, and then all of a sudden it's just it's gone. You don't think about it anymore. It, it can happen to us. We, we sit, we listen to a message, whether it's through a podcast or on, 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 online or we listen to one in the church and, and while we're listening to it, you know, we think, oh, that is, man, that is, but I mean, I'm getting, I'm just, this is, this is for me. I need this. I need to grow. I need to change. And, and yet we, we, as we think about it, we walk out of those doors and, and we begin, uh, you know, it, 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 we really don't, res- uh, yeah, you know what, when I, when I get home, I, I'm, I'm going to do this and, and I'm going I'm to really do some things and, and, you know, there's a football game on or there's something else and we, we just kind of let it go and before too long, the power that that word had upon our heart is, is no longer there because it's been, it's been snatched away. That's the first response. Second soil is, is among the rocks. Look at verse 5 and 6. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Part of that area has a limestone base lying just underneath the topsoil. So the, the seed would be sown and it would, it would, it would have, find some lodging there because there's some topsoil there, but because of the limestone base, the root system doesn't, is not able to go very deep. And so it, it germinates early, and in its germination, uh, and because it doesn't have a good root system that can go down and, and get the moisture that it needs out of the soil when, when the rains uh, are not coming as often as you would like them to, uh, the sun comes up, it, it scorches the plant, and the, and the plant withers away. Look at verses 20 and 21. Jesus explains it. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. He falls away. They, they start well, but they don't finish well. And part of what he's talking about here is their failure in fruitfulness is due to the external pressures that come because of the word. He uses the words there, tribulation and persecution. These are words that are used to describe external pressures, the pressures that are coming from people. And, and the, as, those pressures, as those pressures come from people, because, it, it, I mentioned this in our Bible study class this morning. Oh, you, you believe that, that people of the same sex that get married is, is wrong? It's a sin? You call it a, uh, and even the word sin is taboo, huh? You're one of those people. You're one of those people. You're one of those people that think 
killing a baby in the womb is wrong? You think that's wrong? You, oh, you're one of those people. Are you married to your cousin? You know, did you get past the third grade? It's in our culture. It's in our culture. You, oh, you believe the Bible? You're one of those people? Are you inbred? How ignorant are you? You didn't get much of an education, did you? And because there's no depth, because the lack of maturity, because we're not able to tap into the strength that's ours in Christ, when the world great again, persecution doesn't always have to be physical. When and, and Christianity is becoming less and less and less and less and less significant in our culture. And the, unless the Lord brings revival or unless Jesus comes, when I'm dead and off the scene, it's going to be even worse. And to even, I mean, you know, I mean, I'll, just listen to the news. Just listen to the news. How believers are characterized. Ignorant, backwoods, you know, we all got to drive a pickup and got, got the gun rack in the back of our truck and, you know, we just go down the road, spit that tobacco, you know, got some tobacco in our mouth and, you know, spit it out and, you know, and, and unless you're white, you, you, just, you, just don't, you just don't care for anybody. You know how it goes? That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. And because of that, we become closet Christians. We become closet Christians. Now again, we need to be compassionate. And we need to reach out. And we need to be caring. And we need to be loving. And we need to recognize that God forgives sin. And we need to love those who don't know Christ. And we need to love those whose morality is different than ours. We need to reach out to them. We don't need to you know, wag the finger. We need to state what we, we believe. We need to be firm in what we believe. But we need to state it in a way that is where we can be compassionate and reach out to people. But he talks about here that there's some who respond to... You know, none of us like to be called imbeciles. None of us like to be thought of as being backwards. None of us want... We all want people to, to accept us. To think that, you know, we do have a, some head on our shoulders. That we're not some kind of ignoramus. That, that, that we, you know, that we, we are significant... But it's easy for the Word, for us to respond to the Word in a way where it's not become fruitful because of the, the external, pressure, external pressures that come. And notice he said, look at what he said in the text there, 
He said, yet it has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Immediately. That's the second response. Third response is among the thorns, found in verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. The weeds here that were typical of that area area are weeds that could grow up to six feet in height. That's, that's pretty good weed. And, and if they're growing six feet in height, that means their root system is going pretty deep as well. You know, the taller the, uh, the, 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 taller the, the, the structure, the deeper the foundation. And so you have these weeds that, that, that grow up six feet in height. And, and, and the, the, the idea is, as they're listening to this, you're recognizing that this, this plant growth is hindered by choking out the good plant. I mean, you can, see, you can come to my yard and see that, okay? My front yard. I mean, uh, I, don't gotta, I don't have a yard of grass. I have a yard of weeds, okay? Maybe some of you do as well. And, and, and the weeds choke out. That's one of the things that's good about St. Augustine. St. Augustine, the way it usually runs, it'll choke out the weeds. But a lot of times the weeds choke out the grass. Uh, it, it's just amazing how we... I, I can grow a great lawn of weeds. I mean, if you, need, if, you need, if you need help on that, I can help you. Okay? And in fact, really, let's be honest. If you want a lawn of weeds, what do you do? Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't matter if you lay down, if you've got a brand new yard and, and you've got, you put the best grass down and, and, and it's taken hold and taken root, but if you don't do anything except mow that grass, you're going to have weeds sooner or later. And sooner or later, those weeds are going to choke it out. That's the picture here. Look at the interpretation of it in verse 22. Jesus says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. There's two internal dangers here that Jesus is talking about. Anxiety, talks about the cares of the world. Anxiety and the deceitfulness or the seduction of wealth. Anxiety and the seduction of wealth. Whereas that, that was sown among the rocks deals with the external pressures. That which is sown among the thorns deal with internal pressures. The anxiety. And, 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 and what the text is teaching us is this, is that their concern for spiritual things is choked out by the, by the anxiety and seduction of this material world. My, I've shared with you before, my biggest fear of COVID is not whether or not I get it. I don't want to get it, and I'm trying to do the best I can to keep from getting it. My biggest fear is the anxiety that it's causing among believers. And, why, and you know, we, we need to be concerned. Please don't misunderstand me. We need to be concerned. Some of us are, are, are more vulnerable than others, and we need to take those kind of precautions. But when it becomes, when it moves from being cautious to being anxious, we've now got a spiritual problem. We need to be cautious. 
We need to be cautious. We, 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 as we have our meet and greet, we remind you, be careful, be respectful. We're asking you to be cautious. And there's nothing wrong with being cautious. But, we, but when we move from being cautious to becoming anxious, it's a spiritual issue. And it will begin to choke out the fruitfulness that God wants in our life. The same way with the seduction of wealth. The seduction of wealth, where now wealth enables us to do a lot of things that we couldn't used to do, and, and we live in less dependence upon God. Or we make decisions that we might not have made prior to having that wealth. And, and so these things choke it out. They choke it out because they're more concerned with the issues that are taking place in the world, the anxiety and the seduction of, of, this, of, of wealth in this material world. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Those are the three unproductive soils and, and the responses. And, and Jesus closes out the parable by looking at the good soil. Verse 8. He says, Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The character of the soil kept producing differing amounts of fruitfulness. The character of the soil kept producing differing amounts of fruitfulness. That's the idea here. The idea here is that, that it's not that it produces one amount of fruitfulness in one person and one amount of fruitfulness in another person and one amount of fruitfulness in another person. The idea is that this this, this seed, this good soil, at one time it's going to produce a hundredfold in my life. At another time it's going to produce sixtyfold in my life. At another time it's going to produce thirtyfold in my life. So the character of the soil kept producing differing amounts of fruitfulness. Now, he explains it in verse 23. He says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another case, sixtyfold, and in another case, thirty. So the idea is simply this, is that the proper response to the Word produces varying levels of fruitfulness. So as I hear the Word of God, I understand what it's calling me to do. And I yield myself and ask God to help take the Word of God and apply it to my life and make those changes in my life. Sometimes that changes will be very dramatic changes. Sometimes those changes will be less dramatic. And sometimes those changes will be just a little bit. But there's still fruit. There's still fruit. There's, just like in your life, there's areas in my life where God has changed dramatically. Other areas of my life... There's change there. There's obvious change there. Other areas of my life, the change is very incremental. It's very incremental. And, and, but yet, here's, here, here's, here's, the, here's the crux of the issue. If I respond to the Word of God, if I hear it and understand it and apply it to my life, I'm going to change. There's going to be fruit. Sometimes there's a lot of fruit. Sometimes there's... A lot of fruit, but not as much. And sometimes there's a little, but, but, but there's going to be change. 
there's going to be change. There's, there is always going to be fruitfulness when I respond correctly to the Word of God, though that level of fruitfulness can vary. That level of fruitfulness can vary. And then Jesus closes the parable with a stern ex, uh, exhortation. Verse 9, He who has ears, let him hear. Or to put it in, in good Texas lingo, you better listen up. You better listen up. So, what do we need to listen to this morning from this parable? Let me share with you four things and then an application, a helpful application. And these, these, are, these won't be long. First thing is this, is that those who disobey the word of the kingdom will not participate in the kingdom. If you completely reject it and you don't trust Christ as your Savior, you won't even get to enter the kingdom. But as a believer, if I continue to disobey the word, what I do now in this life determines the extent to which I get to participate and enjoy and serve in the kingdom. What I'm doing now will determine what I get to do during the kingdom. And if I continue to disobey the word of the kingdom, it limits my participation in the kingdom. And so that, it, it, you reject it, it's snatched away, that's it. That's it. So those who disobey the word of the kingdom will not participate in the kingdom. Second thing is this, is that the message of the word of the kingdom will produce different results in different hearers. The message of the word of the... What I've said today is going to have about 40, 50 different results. Some of them might be similar but there's going to be about 40 or 50 different results. Because it's the same message, but what you do with it and how you respond to it is going to determine the results of it. I can't control, I can't control the results. I, I can't do that. That's why we don't try to manipulate people in an altar call. And I'm not saying that those that have altar calls are trying to manipulate people. But that, that, we don't try to do that. And I, you've been in those services... You need to raise that hand. You know, we're going to stay here until the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart. All of us will respond. I make that statement almost every Sunday. All of us will respond. It might be different, but every person that listens to this message, whether here or online, you will respond, and the message of the word of the kingdom will produce different results in different hearers based upon how we respond. The third thing is this, is we can expect varying levels of fruitfulness when we properly respond to the word of the kingdom. There's sometimes when I respond, and that's why I don't need to get discouraged, there's sometimes when I respond to God's, and man, there is just, I mean, there's just, there's immediate change. And there's other times when I respond with the same heart, with the same humility, with the same desire, and sometimes that change is really slow and almost imperceptible. Why? I don't know. The text doesn't explain it. It just says, sometimes it bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty, and I think, and I, think I could be wrong here. I think the thrust of this is not looking at three different kinds of people, but looking at this one seed that continues to produce 
in the life of this one individual, and sometimes it's a hundredfold yield, and sometimes it's a sixtyfold yield, and sometimes it's a thirtyfold yield. And while the other is true as well, I, I think I, I think that's the thrust of, of this text and this point is that there's going to be time to respond to God's word, and we're going to just see this immediate drastic change. And other times, we're going to respond in the same way, with the same heart, with the same attitude. But the change, there's going to be fruit, but it's, it's, it's going to be just a little at a time. And that's okay. That's okay. And the last thing is this. Though there is a mixed response to the message, believers are to be faithful in its continuing proclamation. Keep telling. Keep sharing. Keep praying. You can't control the response. You don't want to control the response. You don't want their hope to be in you and your persuasiveness. So Paul saying, when I came to you, I, I didn't come to you with persuasive speech, but in the power of God. Keep on. But don't be surprised if they reject it. Don't be surprised when they allow internal pressures to choke it out. Don't be surprised when they allow external factors to cause them to wither away. Because I respond to the word that way sometimes. And you may as well. So don't let it discourage you. The person that you're praying for, the person that you're witnessing to, the person that you're sharing your faith with. I mean, I know I've, I've got a couple people that, that uh, you know, it just it seems like it's water off of a duck's back. But I'm continuing to pray, continue to look for ways to serve, continue to look for ways to pray with them, continue to look for ways to share the gospel. Because that's what God's called us to do. If they're not responding, it's not because of you. If they're not responding, it's not that you need to look in the mirror and say, okay, boy, I wish I was like so. Again, those stories, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but you know, those I, when I hear those stories about those guys that got on an airplane and by the time they got off, 25 people were saved, I know I'm exaggerating a little bit. But you've heard those stories, haven't you? You know, and I'm thinking, golly, I can barely say hi to the person next to me when I'm sitting on a plane. We, we hear those stories and, and, and we look at ourselves and, and we think, man, we're such failures. What I do need to look for is opportunities to, if God will open up a door to share with them the gospel, and if not, at least to, and, and this is where God's changing me, to, I remember telling Lisa when I got home one time from a trip and, and uh, not that long ago, and, and I was telling her all these details about the person sitting next to me, and she said, what happened to you? <laughs> what happened to you? Who changed you when you got on that plane? But God wants us to continue to do that. And so I want to encourage you. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep sowing. And don't think it's you when they reject the word of the kingdom. And so I want to close with this. And hopefully to get us to think about this this week. 
every time you enter your home or you see a for sale sign this week, think of HUD. We all know what housing, housing, housing of urban development, okay? We all know what HUD is. You've heard of HUD homes, you know, back when several, you know, several years ago when things were foreclosing, you could buy HUD homes really cheap, you know, get HUD homes. So when you walk into your house, think, you know, even though it's not, or may not be, say, this is a HUD home, or you see a for sale sign, think about HUD. And when you think about that, think, ask yourself this, am I hearing Am I understanding and am I doing the word of the kingdom? Am I hearing? Am I understanding? And am I doing the word of the kingdom? And if you're like me, you won't enter the door of your house, you walk through the garage. <laughs> you know, hardly ever I walk through my front door. Always through the garage. So when you enter through the garage... You walk through the front door. Think about that. Lord, make that be a, Lord, help that to be a reminder to me every time. Am I hearing? Am I understanding? Am I doing the word of the kingdom? Because I want to be a fruitful citizen of the kingdom. And I want to be a faithful caretaker of it. Help your word. Help me to respond as good soil. Don't let anxiety and the things of this world choke it out. Don't let the criticism and the, and the disdain from others cause me to wither up. Don't let me just to outright reject it. But help it to bear fruit whether that's a dramatic change or a significant change or just a little bit of change at a time. Help me to praise you and thank you for the fruitfulness in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, for its instruction to us today, for its warnings, for its encouragement, Lord, may we take your word and, and apply it to our lives and, Father, those areas where we need to grow and change to see your work of grace be accomplished. Thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. For we pray these things in Christ's name through the Spirit. His heads are bowed and eyes.